What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague, and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy. You've joined the Beat Max Video Club, rewinding back to our favourite films of the 1980s. My name's Rich Nelson, and tonight I've rented Beetlejuice. Watching with me is Louise Joy, who blogs for Metro and has her own blog at formidablejoy.co.uk. Hi Louise, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thanks. How are you doing tonight? Not bad, not bad. Looking forward to talking about Beetlejuice. It's the day before Halloween. So, um, how was Beetlejuice for you this time? Really good. So, I rewatched it again last night to help get me in the Halloween mood. And when you think of all the Halloween movies that are out there, this one is just one of the best. It's got comedy, it's got horror, a little bit scary, a little bit family-based. It's just the perfect Halloween movie. So, I mean, it's it's nearly 30 years old now. How do you think it's aged compared to some of the other films from the era? Oh, really? Wow. I mean, when I was watching it yesterday, like, I... I recognised, um, like, Alec Baldwin, for example. When I was younger, like, growing up, I, I didn't even realise that was him. So that was a surprising, seeing him quite young. Um, I think it's aged really well as well, because even some of the scary parts are quite disturbing and gory, and a lot of kind of older movies from the 80s, you watch them back now and you, you kind of laugh at them, but this one, I, I was still getting a little bit scared, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the funny thing is, is I, I hadn't watched the film for maybe 15 or 20 years, and, and when you suggested it, I thought, perfect, it's a, a good excuse to watch the film. It's sort of one of the reasons why we do the pod. And I didn't realise, and big spoiler alert here, <laughs> I, I completely forgot that Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin's characters died um. about and again the whole point of the film is that they're dead they're ghosts it's mm-hmm. very surreal that, and obviously you can see where it's going not many films start with their main characters dying after a couple of minutes and the whole premise of the film is that, that when they got their own little house and done it up in their own little style I was going to say it's nice but maybe not my cup of tea um, <laughs> but they die after was it swerving to avoid a dog and then the dog inadvertently kills them by stepping off the bridge don't they yeah (laughs) Yeah. and um they drown but the couple that move into the house they they don't want them living there so trying to haunt and essentially newly dead people trying to haunt these people out of their own house it's a very strange premise for a film it really is, yeah, but it is Tim Burton, so <laughs> when you think about it that way. <laughs> Again, you know, going to Tim Burton, it's his, only his second film and a bit of a departure from his first, which was a Pee Wee Herman film, which for a child of the 80s like myself, I mean, Pee Wee Herman probably scared me more than Beetlejuice, is a very odd character. But, you know, it's so tim burton isn't it that everything about it when you see his later films it just screams burton all over you're half expecting helena bonham carton to pop out at some point oh definitely i mean if if you watched the film without realizing it was him within half an hour you'd be like you would know it's tim burton yeah it's weird beetlejuice sort of moving on a little bit um the character 
Michael Keaton, he's only in it for about, I think they worked out his screen time was only about 17 minutes in the whole film. And really, for, for the main or the title character and everything else, he's not actually in it that much. Um, but did you know that some of the alternative proposals for his casting, one was Dudley Moore and one was Arnold Schwarzenegger? No way. Can you imagine <laughs> Arnie playing that role, though? <laughs> He'd uh, disappear into the Neverland just saying, I'll be back. It's uh, <laughs> not quite the same ring to it. Really not. But um, he plays it this part so well. I mean, you couldn't even imagine anyone else at all playing that part now. No. And, and again, that's a, another question I like to ask the guests on the pod is if this sort of script was floating around Hollywood for a number of years and it was only just getting made now, who do you think would be cast in the role you know that what sort of actors are out there or actresses who do you think could pull that off well yeah i was thinking about that actually because i don't know whether it was beetlejuice or drop dead thread but i'm pretty sure a few years ago there was rumors about a sequel and they were saying mm. about russell brand or someone like that playing the role of i know they said that about drop dead dead drop dead thread as well but when you think about it russell brand would be good for the role but Probably not as good. Like it's still a very iconic role for Michael Keaton, isn't it? Absolutely. And I mean, Drop Dead Fred was a work of art in itself. It's um, yeah. you could. All, I mean, not not little. It could happen, but you could see Rick Mail doing that and and having a bit of a hoot. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so get, going some of the strange things about the film, and and certainly watching it, having not seen it for so long, some of the things in it you you sort of realise. You know, they're very well done and, and it's very subtle in, in the way that, you know, when the two main characters die early on, you know, little things when they're discovering that they're dead by not appearing in a mirror and, and little things like that where it reminded me of something like The Sixth Sense where it takes them a while to realise they're actually dead before they find their little handbook, which apparently you can buy, you can buy on Etsy. Weird. Can you? Yeah, you can buy a note. Um, I think you can buy it as a notebook. But... Uh, <laughs> Hopefully not as a manual for how to kill yourself. <laughs> no, but the interesting thing about that as well is that watching it as the audience, like when I first watched it, watched it, I didn't realise they were dead until they realised at the same time, which is quite interesting. Yeah, and one of the early lines when they sort of talk about being worried about the whole situation is, we're dead, we don't have much to worry about. It's a very matter-of-fact way of thinking about things. Mm-hmm. The whole subject as well, it seems quite morbid but in a way it's just the, the comedy and it's quite a beautiful film as well so it, it's well I guess it's only Tim Burton that can kind of choose a subject that's so morbid and make it into such an amazing film really and that's not actually sad at all. No and w- one of the things in, in doing some reading about this was there was an interview with Tim Burton in Hadley Freeman's book about 80s films which I've referenced before where he basically describes Winona Ryder's character of Lydia as almost a semi-autobiographical. It's, you know, she was the gloomy, black-wearing outsider almost that he saw himself as as a teenager. And yet she's the one who really identifies with a dead couple and eventually would rather live as a dead person than live with her somewhat outlandish well, father and stepmother. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I can understand that, yeah. Yeah. She, the the lady in that, she was the mum from Home Alone, and you can sort of see why Macaulay Culkin was scared. She's quite unusual. <laughs> um, yeah. Again, I didn't notice that until I rewatched it again yesterday. I was like, 
I know her, yeah. <laughs> but very nouveau riche. Obviously, the dad had had a bit of a breakdown or something and had to move out to the suburbs to get back his vibe or whatever. But, um, you know, when they come back and decide to possess themselves or, or scare them out, so that she was more worried about their $300 bedsheets being used as a ghost. Now, mm. I, I don't buy the bedsheets in, in my house, but $300... Even in today, <laughs> today's money seems like an awful lot. Yeah. But that's what makes, I guess that's what makes her character so interesting because she's very human, you know, she's very obsessed with the way the house looks and the design and stuff and it just makes her a really funny character. Yeah. And coming back, well, jumping forward even to the end where the house sort of takes on, where they've started decorating their bit and it, it just looks such a departure. It's so alternative from the almost middle America, very twee decorations it was and it becomes this combination of late 80s money and Tim Burton combined which is ludicrous and yet that's what she's designed and everything else she gets got her also the little, uh, I'll say little big interior designer friend it's, it's a, again another character who chews up a little bit of the scenery when he's around, a bit like the, uh, the large Cameron from Modern Family, that sort of role Oh yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's when these ideas about trying to scare off the couple, um, they're clearly not working very well. And as part of the transition into the dead, the couple have to go into the waiting room um, and have their caseworker assigned to the newly deceased. And it's mm-hmm. at that point when they've seen or read about Beetlejuice and this very outlandish character who claims to be a bioexorcist and get rid of all the people in the house and they the lady caseworker warns them off him very much sort of saying please avoid him he's going to do more harm than good like some sort of deranged pixie <laughs> yeah and um his sort of introduction when they eventually get to the sort of immortal way of saying beetlejuice 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 you've got to say it three times mm-hmm. it's you know, he emerges like this sort of Tasmanian devil into their little world, um, but residing in the model village that Adam has in the loft. It's quite, mm-hmm. again, surreal, yet it still looks like the suburb from Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, that, that's actually true. I, I noticed that last night. Um, but saying that, Beetlejuice looks so out of place you know, in this little <laughs> <suburb> town, yeah. <laughs> and yet this film won an Oscar for Best Makeup which is crazy it's something that they said that they Burton deliberately tried to make the film look like an old style B movie and he had quite a small budget for special effects and everything else and that was the the part where Beetlejuice looks like a sort of person you might see outside of Weatherspoons on a Saturday night you know very <laughs> looking a little bit a little bit worse for wear and yet the most scary part of him is the part that you don't see when he's Sort of when you see from the back and he opens his face and all the snakes come flying out. Oh, That's yeah. It's one of those scenes that almost seems to work better that you don't see his face. Yeah, I mean, a lot of films kind of do that, don't they? That they focus on what's not seen or what you see seen glimpses and it's just like it just adds to attention. That's definitely one of a, a really good scare tactic, I find. Yeah, and yet one one of the funny bits I 
again maybe didn't notice at the time but looking back is when Beetlejuice is talking about his qualifications for the role it's Michael Keaton doing it as Michael Keaton talking about his own qualifications that he graduated from Juilliard acting school and and done a bit of travelling the thing that he actually reverts to his own voice talking about his own life just as a yet you can sort of see him because he's slightly unhinged it sounds perfectly you know like the rantings of a madman which is a little bit strange but it works very well well yeah as well because when you kind of look back and watch it Beetlejuice although he can do his scare tactics in and day he is just a man like he's not a monster you go to in the scene where I go into the waiting room there's a man with a shrunken head and I think there's like a pixie fairy but Beetlejuice is essentially just a man and somehow it's just it makes him so scary <laughs> I think the fact that he is deranged and, and whatever Hello? issues he has that have warned the others off him they seem to put that away if that makes sense it's very much sort of as, as the fact that he is unhinged and that the caseworkers had to warn the couple away from him that kind of gives him that little bit of an edge that you, you don't see it first. He comes across quite a, I hate to say it, almost likeable, you know. Mm-hmm. But when it will get towards the end of the film, that he becomes this very, you know, manipulative baddie, really, for, for want of a better word. But one of the asides of this is the Lydia character. And, you know, she quite early on seems to n- notice the fact that these this couple are dead and she communicates with them as though it's just a normal she's not scared she's not put off by it at all and sort of strange but inspired work that that seems almost normal and it advances the story quite well it doesn't make it seem like it's very scary but it's almost that's just her character and that's what she's good at yeah definitely i mean i think i've actually read a lot about kind of paranormal in real life and (laughs) I think it's as well because she's quite young. I mean, it taps into the realistic fact that people believe that the children and younger people are more susceptible to kind of seeing spirits and stuff. So it's quite realistic in the in the way as well. She takes it all very well, and the fact that she takes their side it, it says a lot. You know, it could be almost a typical teenager rebelling against her parents. Yet, you know, she's not just out there doing silly things she's sitting there befriending the previously deceased owners of the house who live in the loft it's it's still that little surreal part that makes it work on a i would say believable scale but it's uh, it certainly works and winona Ryder seems to be her lot in life to play muses for tim burton but this one she pulls off so well yeah i i, I was reading earlier about um she said a quote regarding the fact that there might be a sequel um, like set 26 years later or something because it's one of her favourite characters to play and she would love to see what happened to her character growing up because it's, it's just such a you know unique character um, and I, I guess it's something it's a type of character she has played a lot but again I couldn't imagine anyone else playing that role at all and yet this weird thing say slight pun intended is I've just started mm-hmm. watching Stranger Things um, mm-hmm. I've only just seen the first couple of episodes, but she plays one of the mothers in that, and still you can't get out of your head that you know, and it's, it's difficult. But she is Lydia from Beetlejuice, playing. Up. You know, it's it's so strange, and again, it's occupational hazard. But sometimes <laughs> you just hate almost seeing, 
and she's not typecast at all. It's not the same character, but it's a very weird little transition watching sort of young Winona and old, would say old, sounds horrible. Um, cu- <laughs> current Winona. Not that. Yeah. She's not much older than me, but working, you know, it's, it's, you know, the fact that she's had such a successful career despite some of the other personal things going on. And the, this is one of her sort of key standout roles. It's, it's very good. One of the most iconic scenes of the film is the dinner party. Now, oh. <laughs> it's very typical movie trope with the people showing off their new house and having a dinner party and having a little bit of a humble brag and everything. And yet it's completely taken over by Harry Belafonte singing the Banana Boat song while they're all possessed and the voice throwing. Yet it, it has the opposite effect. They're, they're possessed. And yet afterwards as you would at a dinner party, you sit and laugh. Do you think that scene, iconic as it is, do you think it was in keeping with the film? Yeah, it's that's definitely a hard one because it it's one of the most iconic scenes from the movie and it's absolutely hilarious. Um, I guess, like, it's kind of interesting because the movie overall is both humorous and scary and it does take away from the fear and seem a bit random in itself when you think about it but I do think it works particularly well I mean it helps transition to the fact that you know beforehand they weren't didn't quite believe in the fact that they had ghosts in the house and then the way they turn it from that into a money making scheme <laughs> it definitely film along really well and I couldn't imagine the film not having that scene but it does seem very bizarre to put that scene in it's a bit odd definitely and, and it is, like you say, it works quite well in that it shows that they weren't scared at all by it. And it almost is the point where they realise that they need to do more. That's when they need to go into, you know, the next level of, of trying to possess you know, and, and trying to enlist Beetlejuice to do their bidding for them, as it were. Mm-hmm. But yet the song, the Banana Boat song, when Otho died in real life a couple of years ago, they, that was the song they played at his funeral. No way. Which, um, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it's a nice, nice little touch, I think. And then when a little bit further on, Lydia obviously has decided that, she, you know, she starts writing suicide notes and everything. It, it does get quite dark even even further at that point when, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just a case of her finding a, almost friends in this couple. is that she actually wants to, to die. Mm-hmm. And yet when... Beetlejuice is summoned he has to marry her in his eyes in order to gain access back into the the semi-real world but oddly and and very darkly the original script apparently he tried to rape her which is just far too far it's I I certainly think they they did the right thing I think most films benefit from a very odd wedding scene yeah I mean as a character, you can see he's... I, I think um, in the film there is a quote where um, she says about how he's rather pervy and you can see he's got a kind of humorous, yeah, but a little pervy side to him, I guess. Like a, I don't know, like a pervy drunk guy, but again, that, that scene definitely would have been too far. Yeah, and um, I would say even sort of changing the tone, the whole idea of the sequel that was bounding around was that they, it would be set in Hawaii, and you do wonder where 
yeah, where that would have gone and and then Quite my, yeah uh, I mean that's the, but then the cartoon they made of it and I, I remember watching bits of it when I was a bit younger and that actually t- took on a very you know it was kind of sort of aimed at kids which kind of sort of says where where that came from you know the the whole tone just about worked and I, I think it's certainly a good thing they didn't go down that other route but um yeah, yeah. But one thing I did wonder, and, and obviously, you know, when they the couple realised that you know Beetlejuice was ruining everything, and they were trying to get rid of him by when he could hear the little piece of metal put on uh, Gina Davis's mouth to shut her up, and she came, she came in on a giant snake, sand snake or something to to eat him, but oh, I could yeah. I couldn't work out even now, and maybe this is me being dim. At the end of the film, were they dead? Or were they alive? The, the main characters? Yeah, Adam and Barbara. They were dead. Yeah, because they seem to then occupy the house. They sort of would have the lower level and redecorated it in their own way. And then the new couple and would have the upstairs. And that was when Lydia came in looking like very much typical girl having done well on her math test and they were living in the same house and I couldn't work out had they they hadn't come back to life had they no I I think there was a scene where she came back and she'd taken photos of of the town hall for him hadn't she because obviously leave the house but it's quite interesting because it didn't address it directly but the film kind of did have a happy ending and when you think happy end would assume that they came back to life but the happy ending was that they were happy being dead but staying in the house which is quite quite interesting in its own really i guess they, they managed to find a balance of uh, living in the same house having their own halves like students <laughs> decorating it their own yeah. way but so weirdly looking back at the film and, and you know we said it being an early tim burton film do you reckon a sequel to this you know in the way that we're looking at now sequels of films from the 80s and and further back do you think they should just leave it where it is it's been nearly 30 years now i think they should just leave it i mean don't get me wrong i think tim burton could do an amazing job but like i said it has just been so long unless there was a a really really good storyline but so many sequels these days just end up not being as good as the originals and I guess even in the way, if they did do a sequel, I would kind of worry that it was just a money-making scheme, like a lot of movies just do sequels for the money now. I, I would prefer to leave it, but like, don't, I, I would love to see a sequel, but I just don't think it would work. I think it would just ruin, ruin it. I, I, I prefer it just stayed as it was, really. How about you? Well, again, I, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of these returning to old films, and it's almost like one of these where you'd have... I, think you'd have to make it more as a a spin-off type thing where something either about Beetlejuice himself and maybe build up his character really hopefully not with Russell Brand um because you know you look at Alec Baldwin now compared to then I mean he's a he's just as famous in a very different way he's you know very he's almost semi-comedian now and then it would be slightly strange having Winona Ryder as a as Lydia having grown up, you know, in, in her mid forties, unless she then stayed in the house and they could spin it off that way, but they could just keep it as Stranger Things for all I know. But, um, <laughs> yeah, 
sorry, I was just about to say, like, uh, Beetlejuice is such an interesting character. So I, I would love to see, like, hear more about his background. Um, and I, I guess and one idea for a sequel could be him kind of being summoned to haunt another family. But again, that's just the same storyline. Yeah, I don't think there's a way that they could go that make it successful, really. It would be difficult. I mean, apparently Alec Baldwin was quoted as saying he hated the film anyway, which no. I, mean, I suppose that sort of time he was becoming a, a star, but more, you know, I think this was just before The Hunt for Red October, which was one of his bigger films and, you know, very big departure from a Tim Burton joint. It's, uh, I, you could see why it might not be his cup of tea, but to come out and say you hate the film, it's, you know, as sitting here as a fan anyway, it's slightly hard to comprehend. Yeah, definitely, especially since, you know, it was so successful, and like, even though I, I find it, watching it yesterday, I was surprised to realise it was him. He just played the part so, rep, so well, so mm. it's really surprising to hear him saying that. Yeah. Michael Keaton had the, clearly the most fun with the character and everything else, and you imagine, you know, now he's very much had a renaissance as a as an actor and is in some big films again and he, but you could imagine him coming back maybe in a film with Beetlejuice being again a, a slightly fringe character and just having the fun with it that you know, he did in the first one yeah it would be quite interesting to see him just even pop up and make a cameo role in another Tim Burton film like even just like a five minute cameo role I reckon that would work well definitely yeah and yet you know, sort of in a similar vein, again, looking at this, his and Burton next film was Batman. And Michael Keaton as Batman in a Tim Burton film, it, while, again, on paper, you kind of think that would be slightly strange, he did pull it off, and there was a little bit of... You know, there were a couple of scenes in that where Beetlejuice did kind of almost sneak in a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was very much set in the, as you can say, with, with a Tim Burton film, all the sets look the same, and it's just a surprise that Johnny Depp didn't really pop up at some point either. Yeah, speaking of that, um, has Tim Burton, has there ever been kind of rumoured about him, a lot of his films being connected, you know, like in, in the same universe? Did, did I read that somewhere, or am mm. I just imagining that? I haven't read that, but weirdly that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> you sort of think, if you take away the fact that Johnny Depp is virtually in all of them. <laughs> as that. that that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. I think I'm trying to trying to think of the various films now, but I suppose they all look vaguely similar. And Edward Scissorhands, and would he be in the same world as the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Yeah, I wouldn't put it. No, past definitely them. not. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's a new thing they could try the uh, Tim Burton cinematic universe. That'd be really interesting. <laughs> It'd certainly be popular to a quite a wide range of people yeah um let's say sort of moving towards wrapping things up a little bit um the the film it looks like a b-movie it's you know there is that element of comedy to it and we've talked about the line it treads between being quite dark and still being funny at the same time do you think it would be remembered as a comedy or as a horror or something in between i'd probably say Oh, that's really a tough one. I'll probably say something in between, but I guess for a lot of kind of horror movies from the 80s, a lot of them, that, that's just the way horrors were back then. A lot of them did have a lot of humour to them as well. Like, for example, Nightmare on Elm Street, 
watching back now, some parts are really gory, but overall, Freddy Krueger was a very humorous character as well. Um, so th- this one, I'll probably say, probably in between, a little bit more towards horror, but it- it's a tough one because it just has so many elements of both, really. Again, we're in that time of year where it's Halloween and and people look back fondly about sort of Freddy Krueger and Poltergeist and stuff. And, you know, sometimes I, I don't think Beetlejuice gets maybe the love that some of those do purely because they, they are perhaps m- more out-and-out horror films. And, again, we're talking Nightmare on Elm Street and bloody Johnny Depp's in that as well. <laughs> but I think, and certainly as something of a fan of Michael Keaton and the Batman films as well, that, you know, and I, I feel bad almost for not having watched this mm-hmm. for so long. And yet, watching it again, it, it did feel like proper reminiscing and, and nostalgia when you're watching a film you haven't seen for ages. And like, yes, it's aged, and yes, it's you know, if it was made now, it'd be ludicrous CGI oh. and it'd be even less believable. But I think it's aged well in that it's still humorous, and you know, you don't watch it and think, "Oh my god, that's so stupid." And some of the screen teen flicks, where my god, why is she running down there? followed by the boat with a knife this is clever in a way that a lot of films weren't really and certainly not a lot aren't now that's definitely true i didn't i didn't really think about it that way but i guess that's what makes it so successful because the the humor now you you probably would think of it as stupid but it just works so well it is like genuinely laugh out loud funny the ending after beetlejuice ultimately is chased away from the house and and everything and it and as the credits are about to roll and he pops up in the the waiting room next to the the big chief and the chap with the shrunken head and of course he's still mischievous enough but not very well to try and swap his number and (laughs) just the fact that you know this is a character he doesn't they don't kill him off as such he's not they they still realize that he is a popular person he's not a, a freddy krueger or something where you have to get rid of him all he does is he's sentenced to possibly eternity of a shrunken head. It's a it's a sort of humorous and a very funny way to go. It's it does leave that open and perhaps, you know, there are certain actors out there who you always think have a small <laughs> head. Maybe they could play it maybe they could play him with a sequel or spin off. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm sure I'm sure he could find a, a way around I'm sure he could grow his head back to normal size. I don't see why that'd be an issue like I'm sure, I'm sure there's a spell out there we could yeah, do. It. But, well, um, I say I'll start wrapping this up a little bit. But um, I say it was, you know, really great fun to to rewatch the film and and everything else. Um, so ultimately, is looking back, is is this a film that you'd recommend to people to watch with thirty year gap? Coming back to this, it's coming up to Halloween. It's tomorrow at the time of recording. Are you going to recommend to people to watch this rather than some of the? Uh, I know what you did last summer or some of those films. Oh, definitely. I mean, I myself, when it comes to Halloween movies, I tend to choose a different theme each year. So, like, sometimes I do, like, slasher movies, sometimes psychological thrillers. But as a whole, like, like you said, it does, compared to, like, bigger horror movies, it does get, like, get forgotten about. And I think a lot of people who haven't seen it in a while, if, if I sat down and watched it again, not remembering or knowing what to expect they'd genuinely be scared so it's definitely worth watching without a doubt yeah um and you know just one little note i missed out on last time was uh apparently lydia winona Ryder was uh the role almost went to Alyssa milano 
who apparently was in Charmed, I think. Oh, really? Barman. Yeah, and also a film I've already covered, Commando, which would have been really strange. But um, like yeah, imagine a Tim Burton film without Winona Ryder in it. Well, Louise, thank you very much for joining the uh, Betamax Video Club. It's uh, about time we uh, return the film. I understand that you're going to be coming back at some point in the future, and we're going to talk about another horror film you recommended, uh, The Lost Boys. Oh, yes. Yeah, that'd be interesting. That's another one I haven't seen in a while, so that'll be really interesting to rewatch again. Yeah. yeah. And I say, I think at, at the, the rate I'm managing to record these, it may well be next Halloween by the time I get around to it. Yeah. But uh, I say, a, a, another film I haven't watched for a long time, so I'm certainly looking forward to that. But um, yeah. thank you very much for joining us. And um, we'll, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play you out with the song that was number one when this film was released back in 1988 which was the fabulous The Only Way Is Up by Yaz and the Plastic Population. So thanks so much. And uh, Louise, thank you for joining us. And if you'd like to catch up with Louise, as I say, she blogs for the Metro and has her own blog at formidablejoy.co.uk. The only way is up.